Your right notes this morning, that's the title of this morning's message, A Work of Faith. And we're going to see uh, how Noah was uh, entrusted with and asked to start a work of faith. A work of faith. And we know that a work of faith, um, that there cannot be a work of faith without first an obedience of faith. There cannot be a work of faith without first an obedience of faith. We know that obeying God will often require great steps or leaps of faith. How many of you know that? And as we've gone through the last few weeks, we've seen that in the life of Abraham and Peter and Andrew and Joshua, right? Obeying God will often require great steps or leaps of faith. What does James tell us in chapter 2 verse 26? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And what do we know about faith? We know that uh, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. We know that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Faith must work. It must produce. It must inspire action. And we saw that in the last few weeks over the stories of these men that we read about. Faith obeys the word of God. It does not simply hear it. It produces doers. It produces doers. In all the examples that we've been given the last few weeks, and even the example of this morning in the life of Noah, obedience was needed in faith or with faith in order to please God and accomplish his will. In the last few weeks in the life of Abraham and Joshua and Peter and Andrew and this morning in the life of Noah, faith was needed with obedience in order to please God and accomplish his will. If we are to please God, we're going to need faith. Not only are we going to need faith, but we're going to need to step out in obedience with faith if we are to please him and accomplish his will. Hebrews 11 verse 6 is this, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. But what does this say? The writer of Hebrews we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we must have faith followed by obedience if we are to please him and accomplish his will and purpose for our life. That which he would call us or ask us to do. So likewise, when God desires, as we saw in the last few examples, the last few weeks, and we'll see this morning, likewise, when God desires to do a great work, through the life of a believer, when God desires to do a great work in your life, he will tell you what he's going to do. That's uh, the first point of this morning. He will tell you what he's going to do. Secondly, in response to that, you are to be obedient to what he asks you to do. First, he will tell you what he's going to do, what he intends to accomplish, his will and his purpose. Secondly, in response to that, me and you are to be obedient to what he asks us to do, what he asks you to do. And lastly, having done those two, he will bless you when it is accomplished. God will bless you when his purpose and will is accomplished. And we're going to see the life of Noah, and most of you know the story. And the great work that God desired to do through Noah is a work of salvation, a work of preserving humanity and the animals that dwell on the earth. It was a great work to later repopulate the earth. And we, and we see the story of Noah summarized in one verse 
in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Here is a summary of the life of Noah in one verse. Noah, by faith, stepped out in obedience to God, being warned of things not yet seen. And we're going to see what those things were. He had never seen or heard of an ark. He had never seen or heard of rain. He had never seen or heard of a flood, much less a global flood. But being warned of these things not yet seen, he was moved with godly fear, obedience. And in response to that, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, which, which by he condemned the world. And in response to that, he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Which is according to faith. Now we're going to see this story described here in verse 7 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, a little more elaborate in Genesis chapter 6, where we're going to spend this morning on. And we're not going to go through the details of the story of Noah and the ark, but we are going to look at those three things. When God desired to do a great work through the life of Noah, and when God desires to do a great work in the life of a believer and yourself this morning, again, he will tell you what he's going to do. He will ask you to be obedient to what he's asked you to do. And lastly, he will bless you when it is accomplished. Genesis chapter 6. Would you pray with me again this morning? Lord, we do come before you this morning, God. We're thankful and grateful for your grace, love, and mercy. We're thankful for your word, God, and the opportunity that we have, Lord, to open it this morning. We ask that it would speak to our hearts, God, that you would convict us and exhort us and encourage us this morning. Lord, that we would have come as we are, but that we wouldn't leave as we came this morning. But that your word and your Holy Spirit, God, would have a transforming power in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us. It's in your name that we pray. And the church said, Amen. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to start here in verse 5. Verse 5 is going to give us a context of what's taking place. Verse 5 says this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Shepheth. And the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them 
with the earth. This gives us a context of what's taking place. Here we're going to see the first point of this morning. God will tell you what he's going to do. When he wants to ac accomplish his purpose and his will in your life. When he wants to accomplish a great, way, a great work of faith in your life. And God here, as we read in verse 13, he tells Noah what he's about to do. He's going to bring a worldwide judgment. And verses 5 through 12, we see the context, the background of what's taking place. Why is God going to do this? We read in, in verses 5 through 12 that God is displeased with man. And he announces his judgment against wickedness. God looked upon the sickness of the sin of humanity and the evilness that dwelt in their heart. And it says here in verse 5, continually. It dwelt in their heart continually. The wickedness was of perversion and of malice and, of, and a corrupt violence on the earth. Does that remind you of the earth and the nation and the country and the state that we live in today? Right? Because actually the Bible later says in the New Testament that the end times will be like the days of Noah. And it says here that there were days of perversion and of corrupt violence and wickedness and evil intent in the heart of man continually. Turn on the TV. Is there evil and wickedness in, in intent in the heart of man and is it continually? It used to be you'd have to turn on the TV and the news every few weeks to hear about something going on. Now you can turn it on anytime throughout the day, every day. Because the corrupt is continually. And then it says, because of this, in verse 6, that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. It's important to mention, where it says that the Lord was sorry, God does not do things he wishes he had not done, nor does he undo things he's already done. We wanted to make that clear this morning, where it says that the Lord was sorry. He does not do things he wishes he had not done, and he does not undo things he's already done. But that the Lord was sorry is an expression of an utmost form of divine grief from God. God is sorrowful over how, how far humanity had fallen from what he originally intended. He's sorrowful. He's grieved. And we don't have human language to express that. So the author, Moses, of Genesis writes, the Lord was sorry. But the Lord never takes back what, he, what he's already done. He wasn't sorry. He was grieved. He was sorrowful. Because what he originally intended for man, they had gone so far off out of his will. They were corrupt. There was evil in the heart continually. Violence was on the earth. So now what do we see here in verse 13? We see that in verse 5 through 12, the corrupt and the evilness. In verse 13, God tells Noah what he's going to do. Hey, Noah, this is, the, this is my will. This is my purpose. This is a work that I'm going to accomplish. Verse 13, in light of what we just read, in light of the wickedness that endures continually, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. They had gone too far out of his will. And God said, I'm going to bring justice. My justice must be satisfied. And you read throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, that God has judged throughout the Bible men and women individually. In the New Testament, we see a couple in the book of Acts that's judged together. Very few times 
you'll see that God judges a people as a whole, and only one time does he judge the world as a whole. And we're going to look at that right now. And he tells, what does he tell Noah? He says, I'm going to bring judgment on the earth. I'm going to destroy these people. And he says, and the earth. I'm going to destroy them with the earth. He speaks to Noah for the first time. And he delivers a message of global judgment. The end of all flesh. I will destroy them with the earth, he tells them. And there were probably millions of people on the earth at this, at this time. A mass or worldwide judgment of people was unheard of and never even seen before. Imagine being Noah, a worldwide judgment. What are you talking about, God? You're going to judge the whole people? How? Because if you notice in verse 13, he, God told them what he's going to do and not immediately tell him how he's going to do it. He did not immediately tell him how he's going to do it. To believe or even imagine this type of judgment must have required an outstanding amount of faith. God told him what he was going to do and not immediately tell him how he was going to do it. Has God ever told you in the same manner? Hey, this is what I want to accomplish. This is the will that I have for your life. And that's it. I'm not going to tell you right now exactly how I'm going to do it. Well, that was the case with Noah. And I'm going to bring a worldwide judgment. And I'm going to judge the world as a whole, a wholesale judgment. Often the purposes of God will shock you as they shock Noah. You will not understand or comprehend them. Yet you will still have to trust him at his word to fulfill them. Often the purposes of God will shock you and you will not understand or comprehend them. But you will still have to take God at his word to fulfill his purposes. And this is Noah now faced with the judgment of God upon the world. He has to take him at his word and believe him that God's going to do it. God has not told him how he's going to do it just yet. If you notice this type of faith, the taking God at his word type of faith, is the same type of faith that was required of the disciples when Jesus told them that he would provide for the 5,000. Remember we read about that last week regarding the five loaves and the two fish that Jesus would multiply. Matthew 14, verse 18, he said, bring them here to me. That's it. Bring them here to me. This is the work that I'm going to do. I'm going to feed the 5,000 men, plus including women and children, maybe 20,000 people, the multitudes. You have five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me. I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to do it, but you have to take me at my word. Bring them here to me. This is the same type of faith that was required of the servants in the wedding at Cana of Galilee. When we see the first recorded miracle of Jesus. Where in the wedding now there's a need for wine because they had been finished. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus and brings the servants of the wedding. And regarding the water pots that Jesus would, would later, regarding the water pots that were going to be filled with water where Jesus would later turn into wine. John chapter 2 verse 7, Jesus said to them, the servants of the wedding, fill the water pots with water. He told them what he was going to do. I'm going to provide for the wedding. There's a need. I'm not going to tell you how. Just fill the water pots with water. This is taking Jesus. This is taking God at his word. Bring the five loaves. 
bring the two fish. Bring the water pots, fill them with water. Noah, I'm going to judge the earth. This is taking God at his word, even when he has not told you how he's going to do something. He just has told you what he's going to do, which is often the case in our life, right? And humanly and instantly speaking, me and you, we want to know A, B, C, and D. We want to know the details. But that's where faith comes in. That's where taking God at his word comes in. That's the beauty about faith. This is this same type of faith of taking God at his word is the same type of faith that was required of Moses when God told him he would set his people free from bondage in Egypt. Regarding Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3 verse 12, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. I will be with you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. He has not told Moses how he's going to do it. Moses did not know that was going to be followed by ten plagues and a splitting of the Red Sea. He just said, this is what I'm going to do. Take me on my word, now go to Pharaoh. This is often the case in our life. Where God says, you have to take me at my word. This is the word of God, take me at my word. I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to do something, but if I desire to do a great work in your life and a great work of faith, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And oftentimes, I'm not going to tell you immediately how I'm going to do it. In all cases that I just mentioned, in the different scenarios we just looked at, faith was required to believe God at his word, that he would accomplish what he said he was going to do. Now, me and you, if we are to embark in great works of faith, we must take God at his word when he tells us what he's going to do, when he tells us his purpose, when he tells us his plan, when he tells us his will for our life. We must take him at his word. Numbers, verses 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 19. God is not man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do? Or has he spoken and will not make good? It is against the character of God to do that. But we are to take him at his word. So we see up until verse 13, the state of the world, the evil, the corruptness of the world. And in verse 13, God has told now Moses what I'm going to do, what he's going to do. The second point of this morning, we're going to see in verse 14 through 22, in response to what God has told us that he's going to do, we must be obedient to what he asked us to do. In response now, Noah must be obedient to God of what God is going to ask him to do. Look what it says now in verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you should make it. The length of the ark shall be three cubits or 300 cubits with its width, 50 cubits with its height, and 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side, and you shall make it with the lower, second, and third decks. Having told Noah what he was going to do, he then asked Noah to obey him in doing also. The first step is taking God at his word. That already requires an outrageous amount of faith. God, you're going to judge the world? And that's all you've told me up until now? I need to believe that by faith? 
Secondly, look at the instructions that Noah is given. God describes a three-story giant box that he wants Noah to build. A box. Why do I say box? Because we know today that it's an ark because we see ships in the ocean and boats and we know what an ark is. But to Noah, if you would have said an ark, he has no clue what that is. He's in the wilderness. He's never seen rain. He's never seen a sea. He's never seen uh, a flood, which is about to take place as we continue to read. All he knows is God just described the height, the width, and the length of a three-story huge box he wants me to build. Can you imagine that? But then you notice how God describes it very detailed, three stories, big rooms, and a huge door. We know that God is always purposeful in his orders. He's always fruitful in his commands, even when they do not make sense. Have you ever had to take God at his word and it does not make sense? I don't even know why I'm doing this, God. That's okay. That's the whole concept of faith. But know that what God has asked you to do, he's purposeful in his orders and he's fruitful in his commands. There's a reason why God described it this way. The length, the width, the height. He was specific. There's a reason why it was three stories. There is a reason why there is a huge door. It was large enough to fit what God had intended for it to carry. With a big enough door to allow in what God intended to survive his judgment to come. Noah didn't know it. He was just asked to build it. It was designed perfectly to allow the survival of Noah's family and animals that would later repopulate the earth. And now look at what it says, verse 17. Because now God tells them. He didn't tell him immediately, but in verse 17, he now tells them how he's going to do what he told Noah he was going to do. Verse 17, and behold, I myself, I am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh, and you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall make and, and they shall be male and female, and of the birds of the and, and of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and every creeping thing after their uh, of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive, and you shall take for yourself all of the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Again, although this might make sense to us now, because we know the full story, we know what an ark is, we know the end of the story, imagine being Noah, because it did not make sense to him, and it more than likely created doubt and fear. How do we know that? Because when God asked when God has asked of me and you something that makes completely no sense whatsoever, what creeps in? Doubt and fear. God tells Noah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge the world. This is how I'm going to do it, by floods and water. This is what I want you to do. Build a three-story ark and take two of each kind of animal into the ark and, and build a huge door on it. 
Think about being Noah at this time. Never seen a flood. Doesn't even know what that is. He's being told to build this huge thing. And doubt and fear start to creep in. But then what do you notice in verse 17? I'm sorry, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Having taken God at his word about what God was going to do, Noah is now faced with having to step out in obedient faith. Having taken God at his word for what God was going to do, Noah is now faced with having to step out in obedient faith. And God now tells him how he's going to destroy the earth, right, as we read. Faith was not required of Noah because he lived in the wilderness. He had never seen an ark, rain or flood or a worldwide judgment, all these things. To build something of that magnitude, three stories, would require help, plans of architecture, a team of skilled builders. He wasn't going to be able to do it by himself. And he probably started to build shortly after and wondered, why am I even doing this? I've never even seen water. I'm building a three-story giant box. I've hired now people to do architecture and plans and skilled workers. What am I even doing? Have you ever asked yourself that in your life when God asks you to step out in faith and do the unthinkable and do the unimaginable and do what seems crazy and what does not make sense? Because it did not make sense. And then he'd ask him to do what? To figure out how he's going to take the animals in, two of each kind. I mean, this seemed outrageous probably to Noah. But what do we see there in verse 22? That amid the confusion, the doubt, and the fear that Noah must have had, he did not question God. Amid the fear, the doubt, and the confusion, when God tells me and you to step out and be obedient, to take him at his word, and then to be obedient to take obedient steps of faith. Oftentimes we do what? Doubt, we have fear, and then we question God. Verse 22, it says, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. There is immediate obedience. You don't see a transition from God's orders, and you don't see a time span from God's orders to Noah's obedience. It says, these are the orders in verse 22. So Noah did what God commanded him to do. There was immediate obedience. And likewise, if me and you desire to be used in great works of faith for God, we must be obedient in what he asked me and you to do. We see a remarkable faith of, of Noah. He heard and then obeyed. Having not known what an ark is, having not known what floods are, having not ever seen rain or water, he heard and obeyed. There was immediate obedience. This type of obedient faith was seen in the life of the, of the disciples that we just spoke about. When they were told to sit the multitudes down to distribute the fish and the loaves. Again, Matthew 14 verse 19. And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed it and broke. And he gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave it to the multitudes. Immediate obedience. 
You know that it required obedience from the disciples after Jesus starts to give them the fish and the, and the uh, bread. There was required immediate, immediate obedience on their part to start to distribute this to the people. Because they're looking at a multitude of maybe 20,000 people and they're thinking if we start distributing this, I don't know if there's going to be enough. But what did Jesus say? Here's a fish, here's the bread, distributed to the people, and it says what? And the disciples gave it to the multitudes. Immediate obedience. This type of obedient faith that Noah was required of is also seen in the life of the servants at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, like we read earlier. When asked to not only fill the water pots with water, there were six, but to take them to the master at the wedding. Imagine the type of faith that was required. There's six empty water pots. There's wine that's missing at the feast, at this wedding. Jesus says, bring the six water pots. Fill them up with water. Each one probably filled 25, up to 25 to 30 gallons of water. They fill them up. Jesus says, okay, now take them to the master of the wedding. And look what it says. John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And look what it says. And they filled them to the brim. Immediate obedience. And he said, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Immediate obedience. They took God at his word. They took God at his word. And they were obedient to what he asked them to do. That is what's required of me and you. When God tells us what he's going to do and then gives us a task for us to do. If we are to embark in great works of faith, in great works of God, if we are to accomplish them for his will. Faith and immediate obedience to see a miracle of God is what these servants did here at the wedding. And why did they do it? Why did Noah do it? I mean, that's the whole concept of faith, and that's what we've been discussing the last few weeks, right? Because faith does not have to understand or comprehend to be obedient. That's the whole substance of faith. Faith does not have to understand or comprehend to be obedient. Think about our Christian faith. Think about our relationship with God. By faith, we obey and trust our eternity to God for a heaven we've never seen to escape a judgment we've never seen. By, by faith, we trust God with our obedience. Faith does not have to comprehend or understand in order to be obedient. We do this on a daily basis, right? We try to, by faith, live an obedient life. We trust God with our eternity to go to a heaven we've never seen, to escape a judgment we've never seen. That's faith. This is what was required of Noah. This is what is required of me and you if we are to do great works of God. Faith. It does not have to be understandable. We do not have to necessarily comprehend it. We just have to be obedient at the voice of God. Lastly, having heard what God told him he was going to do, having now been obedient to what God asked him to do, now God will bless him and will bless you and I when the work is accomplished. God will tell you what he's going to do. In response, he's going to ask you to be obedient to what he'd asked you to do. And lastly, he's going to bless you when the work is 
accomplished. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Then the, Lord, then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Having been told the plan of God and responding in obedience to the task of God, He will bless you when His purpose is accomplished. Did you notice that? Having heard the plan of God, which is what Noah did, he heard it, and responding in obedience to the task of God, he will bless you when his purpose is accomplished. And what happens in verse 1? Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. Noah is invited into the ark. And here we see an invitation into the ark is a blessing of salvation and righteousness. The very invitation of God to Noah into the ark was a blessing of salvation, of security, because God was about to flood and judge the world. So a blessing into, I'm sorry, a invitation into the ark was a blessing of security and of protection from the coming wrath and the judgment of God upon the earth. And then what else does he say in the second half? Because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now you would think, of course, Noah got invited into the ark. God asked him to build it. But that's not always the case. See, Noah started the work and was allowed into the blessing of the work. Moses, on the other hand, you guys remember Moses. He started the work of leading the Jews out of Egypt. But he was restricted from the blessing of entering the promised land. Moses started the work of leading the people out of bondage from Egypt, but he was prevented, he was restricted from entering the promised land. Here, the very blessing of the obedience of Noah is you've built, you've built the ark, you've, asked what I've, you've done what I've asked you to do, now enter the ark. This is the ark now of salvation, of protection, of security, because of my coming wrath and judgment on the earth. But the second point there, there's a second blessing. It's not just of salvation, it's of righteousness. Because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. We see that Noah believed God and was obedient to him. And because he believed God and was obedient to him, it was attributed to him as righteousness. We know that about, and we read that about Abraham a few weeks ago, right? Abraham believed on God and it was attributed to him as righteousness. Noah believed and was obedient to God, and it was attributed to him as righteousness. So we see a blessing of salvation and of righteousness. Secondly, if you go to chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. So God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. And, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air. And of all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things as the green herbs. From chapter 7 to now chapter 9, which you can read at home. Noah and his sons and the animals have already spent over a year floating in the floods that God sent on the earth. Now the flood is over, they've arrived to land, or the land has dried up, 
And here comes another blessing of God. In verses 1 through 3, as you read it, there's a blessing of authority and provision. What does he say? He says, be fruitful and multiply, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and of every bird in the air. You are going to have authority and dominion. But also there's a blessing of provision in verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things as the green herbs. Noah and his sons are given dominion over the land and an abundant supply of food. See what happens here? God tells you what he's going to do. You have to be obedient to what he asks you to do, and then he's going to bless you when the work is accomplished. We see a blessing of salvation, a blessing of righteousness, a blessing of provision, a blessing of providence. The next blessing in chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for me a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant or my promise, which is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So we see a blessing of salvation and of righteousness. We see a blessing of authority and provision. And now we see a blessing of promise in these, these, these last few verses that we read. A promise of provision. I'm sorry, of providence. What does he say in verses 12 through 15? God sets a covenant, a promise with Noah and his sons and their sons and their generations to come. He says, you look up to the sky, there's a rainbow. That is a sign of my providence and covenant with you that I will never again destroy the earth for your generation and theirs ever again in a global judgment the same way I just did now. They will never have to fear for their future generations. They were promised the protective spiritual care of God. Why did this take place? Because God heard what God told them, uh, what God wanted to do. Noah heard what God wanted to do. He was obedient to what God asked him to do. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. See, and, and we read about, like we read uh, to, to begin with, Noah is written about in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the hall of faith, because of his great work of faith. There was a great work of faith, which is believed that the time he spent to build the ark was probably and almost about 100 years. A great work of faith. But he had to take God at his word. He had to be obedient in faith and stepping out to what God called him to do. And then we see the blessing of God upon his life. And again, when God desires to accomplish a great work of faith in your life, he will, he's going to tell you what he's going to do. You are to take him at his word. And in response, be obedient to what he asks you to do. Having an obedient, an immediate obedience of faith. And he will bless you when it is accomplished. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 again by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen moved with godly fear 
he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Here is a story of Noah summarized in one verse. And the three things that we spoke about this morning are summarized in this very same verse. We see three aspects of Noah's faith in this verse. In light of being warned of things not yet seen, he was moved with godly fear. You see, in, in obedience of faith. In light of being moved with a godly fear, he prepared an ark. You see, a demonstration of faith. And because he was moved with godly fear, and because he prepared an ark, he became an heir of righteousness. We see a blessing of faith. An obedience of faith, a demonstration of faith, and a blessing of faith. And having gone through the last few weeks as we're going through this series on faith and what it means to please God by taking steps of faith and leaps of faith after going through all these characters, you might be wondering, as I have, as I sit and listen, it's like, God, I want to be used like these people, like these men and women of God that we read about in Scripture. But how do we obtain that faith that they had? How do I obtain the faith that, that Noah had that took him at his word, that was obedient to step out when it did not make sense, when he, when he did not comprehend or understand the purposes or will of God? And you might be asking yourself that this morning. Well, Chris, that sounds great, having to hear what God wants to do and wanting to be obedient to what he'd asked us to do, but how? I need that type of faith. Where do I obtain it? How do I do it? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to know how to increase your faith? Open up this book daily. Dive into the word of God. This is how faith is culminated. This is how faith grows. This is how faith becomes healthy. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. If you're saying, I lack faith, well, dive into the word of God. I want to grow in faith. Dive into the word of God. I want to take leaps of immediate, of immediate obedient faith. Dive into the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Hearing of the word of God. In closing, listen to this. There is an easy, practical way to have faith. A minister said to an evangelist who was holding services in his church, I have no faith in this matter, but I see it in the word of God, and I'm going to act on God's word no matter how I feel. A minister said to an evangelist who was holding services in his church, I have no faith in this matter, but I see it in the word of God, and I'm going to act on God's word no matter how I feel. And the evangelist replied, wow, that is faith. The word of God is the secret of faith. We do not attain or achieve faith. We simply receive it as we read God's word. Many children of God, listen to this church. Many children of God fail to enjoy God's richest blessings in Christ because they fail to receive the gift of faith. Many children of God fail to enjoy God's richest blessings in Christ 
because they fail to receive the gift of faith. They look within themselves for some quality that will enable them to believe instead of looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our great faith. Amen? Let's pray.